Hello and welcome to the So Fucking Healthy podcast. My name is Maddie Ringo, resident filthy hippie, holistic health junkie, and health science nerd. Through this podcast, I hope to give you a happy nudge down the rabbit hole of exploring the science behind your lifestyle choices to reduce the overwhelm of this information age. We talk nutrition, movement, emotions, nature contact, the wellness industry, fad diets, fringe science, and anything that encompasses health and well-being in this modern world of ours. This is not meant to be medical advice. My only aim is to help you understand how to make sense of all the wellness advice that is thrown at us living on the internet and with the news, and I just hope you can learn something, and that's it. This episode is a continuation of our first episode where we talked to my uncle Tony about the benefits of cold exposure protocols for metabolic health, mental health, and longevity. In case you missed that one, go give it a listen. Of course, I would highly recommend it. It was a very cool conversation. And as I mentioned in the intro to that episode, Tony Molina is a former U.S. Navy diver and Navy SEAL obstacle course record holder, and he's also the founder of Aret Life Lab in Santa Monica. This lab specializes in what Tony calls longevity programming, which uses an evidence-based holistic approach to wellness transformations. For the second half of our conversation, we talked about fasting, which can be a topic of much contention. A lot of people are avidly pro-fasting, some caution against it, but regardless, it's certainly something to be discussed. It's not really a health practice I engage in myself, or something for which I had a particular affinity previous to this episode, so this was really interesting for me. Our discussion was full of details and practical advice and nuance, and I think you're really going to like it. And thank you, of course, to my friend Nate for talking my ear off about this shit. Without you, I probably would not have been investigating this topic. I do also want to point out, as I did in the first episode, that there is a bit of unavoidable background noise in this episode, just due to the fact that we were recording in the midst of a very energetic family gathering, so I do apologize for that. But without further ado, let's welcome again my Uncle Tony, and let's get fucking healthy. So another part of your longevity programming thing is fasting. That's another thing that's sort of in your realm of knowledge, yes? Yes. Awesome. So let's define what kind of fasting we're dealing with. Are we talking about intermittent fasting, 24-hour fasting, 72 hours, something beyond that? So, okay, there's a bunch of ways to achieve a fasted state. You can also fast from social media. You could fast from sight. You could fast from music. You could fast from profane language, negative thoughts. People There's do a, dopamine fasting. Dopamine fasting. There's a lot of different ways you can use the the term, and uh, you know, and have all kinds of journeys in, in uh, internal journeys, as well as all kinds of value for yourself. So fasting, we generally go into food, the category of food. So in the concept of fasting, I've over decades of work doing this work, and I've moved it into what. I call the portal. And so twice a year, you go through the portal. And the portal is kind of what it gives you as a visual representation. You kind of go down this positive rabbit hole, and you either do a four- or eight-week cycle of a portal, and in there is a five-day fast. So during the five-day fast, people can do, there's three versions. They can do a fasting-mimicking diet, which was developed at USC's Longevity Institute, uh, and that's like eating while getting the value of fasting. So that's... Uh, Is that like ketosis? No. You'll, you'll drive ketones. Ketones are driven from a bunch of different ways. Uh, and ketones create what's called mitochondrial uncoupling. And that's really the focus of why you want to generate ketones. Ketones don't equal weight loss. So ketosis or a ketogenic diet actually doesn't have the value that of how it's been d- described. They're all ketones... Beta-hydroxybutyrate, that's when you exhale. Fat is exhaled. Most of it's exhaled. 
the rest is, comes out of your urine and sweat. So when you exhale and you're fasted, that's where fat's coming out of, which is interesting, visual. So actually you're exhaling fat when you're fasting. So that's important to understand because then it brings you to your respiratory system. So fasting is really a respiratory-based intervention because it's driving beta-hydroxybutyrase, which is elicited from your lungs that's metabolically ex exhaled. So what exactly is beta-hydroxybutyrase? It's one form of a ketone that's created from the fasting mechanism. So in a fast, a fasting-mimicking diet, which is five days, uh, it's like 750 calories of plant-based foods that the brain doesn't register the food, which means it doesn't activate the glucose sugar metabolism. So you get the benefits of fasting and the value, but you still get to masticate. You get to intake. And that's a big deal for most people. To fast for five days for anybody is really tough. Even if you've done it for religious purposes, let's say, right? Because over time, forever, for the millennia, we've always done fasting religiously. So if you did the fasting mimicking diet, that's a good transition into fasting. Then there's a one meal a day fast. That's the next version, I would say, you progress to. So you've done maybe a five-day cycle of an FMD. You've been eating the plant-based, 750 calories. You're getting the value of fasting, but you're getting to eat. Okay, you've got a little bit of training, a little experience. You're not going to short, you know, overload. Because you can get things like the fasting flu, right? The organs detox, and if your microbiome isn't healthy and you're fasting, fasting doesn't always mean positive. Mm -hmm. So now you feel like crap. you got the fasting flu, you're laid down, you feel like you got to throw up. You're going to the bathroom and you're just like, I'm not going to make it. That's usually not a good sign. You should start eating. So the FMD is a good transition segue to fasting. I've heard a lot about fasting being sort of a Russian roulette depending on the state of your gut microbiome just because you don't really know what's going to happen once, once your gut starts digesting that mucin layer. You don't really know what's going to sort of get dug up. That's right. And that's because most people aren't metabolically flexible. So that's why I've created what's got what's called the portal. So you can actually get the value of mm -hmm. the fast, meaning most people aren't fasting because of all the, 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 the value, like you can create stem cells from fasting, right? You can end pain cycles. You can create neurogenesis in the brain and the hippocampus. Okay, so mm -hmm. there's all these things we can read about of the value of fasting, but most people very basic, right? We're just animals now with big front brains that get in the way of our intuition, our gut, our first brain. They're there because they think they want to lose weight. They want their skin to look better. And they want to, in a sense, kind of show that, hey, I can do this. Okay, great. That's not a bad thing. But they're going to feel bad if they fast. That's because they're not mm -hmm. metabolically flexible. So anyway, the goal is achieve some form of metabolic flexibility. It means you can have your body run on alternate fuel sources like protein and fat not just carbohydrate sugar, then when you move into a fast, whatever type you do, you don't feel bad. Because if you feel bad, you're probably not going to do it again. And humans are designed to fast. So you don't have to learn anything. You don't have to buy anything. You're designed to fast. Mm -hmm. That's how you're supposed to eat. And I guess we're sort of designed that way because of, you know, in times of need, we need to be metabolically flexible in case there is a famine, in case we have a long journey across the continent. You know, if you look like historically, if you look paleolithically, you know, when there's just some sort of shortage or maybe your husband's just a shitty hunter and a lot of the time he just like doesn't bring anything home. You don't get food for three days. You better be metabolically flexible. So that yeah, that does make a lot of sense when you when you talk about metabolic flexibility. Yeah, um, and we've lost way. it because of the way we live. We have everything available to us, right? So mm -hmm. back to that affluence part. So we have everything available. So because of it, 
we're not metabolic and flexible. And so you see it, right? You see it in our body types. Mm-hmm. You see it in our insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. You see it in this in this massive spike across the world in type 2 diabetes and type 3 diabetes, dementia. Mm-hmm. It's because we're not metabolically flexible. So a little bit of fasting cyclically over the year is absolutely what we're designed to do and what we should be doing mm-hmm. versus we're doing something just like to see if we can get through it or something. That's just going to mean you're going to be throwing up in the bathroom probably and or never doing it again because you're going to feel bad. Usually, you know, people yeah. don't feel good when they fast, you know, and it's super tough psychologically unless you're right in a bit of a specific position. I like to make sure people have fasting buddies. Always good to fast with someone else, mm-hmm. even several people, because then you're in it together and we do better when we're together. What is the benefit to being metabolically flexible besides just you are and you can do it and you can get through a fast? That's that's part of the of the prism of programming yourself for longevity. Mm-hmm. So annually, you want to be flexible metabolically. Then you have less of the processes of the gomage. You have less glycation of sugars in your body. You have less oxidative damage across all the cells. You have less dysfunction to the mitochondria, which which handles the majority of all these versions of aging. You have better gene expression. That's how you get it. So metabolic flexibility, in a sense, promotes a longevity dividend. That's what it promotes. That makes sense. Um, do you think there's any specific population that would benefit the most from fasting? Like, what is the type of person to whom you would most strongly recommend a fasting protocol? I think it's easy. If you're a male and you look down and you're going to the bathroom and you can't see your organs that you're going to go to the bathroom with, you need to fast. If you're a female and you have either poor sleep hygiene, you live on stimulants, or you have any kind of chronic pain syndromes across the whole spectrum of the body, Mm -hmm. you're basically getting metabolic feedback that your system is struggling, Mm -hmm. and you need to fast. Okay. I would say that's a good start. So people that are overweight, they're insulin resistant. They need to fast. They're not metabolically flexible. That's why the body's storing it as, right? It's storage. Mm -hmm. It used to be called metabolic syndrome. Now we can call it, which is what it is, is fat storage condition. So I like to say if you're in the line at Starbucks and you're male, it's simple. You should know if you should get out of the line and go home, all you have to do is look down. And if you see a size between where you're looking straight down, right, vertically, and the rest of your body, if you can't see your legs, you should get out of the line. You should go right to the lake, strip down to your bathing suit, and jump in and do some cold immersion. Yeah. That's how you know. And if you fast and do cold immersion, that's called stacking. That's in the longevity programming principles. Yeah. That's even better. Now we get what we call hormesis. You turn on the stress defense mechanisms and our body just starts to do better. Mm-hmm. And so the acronym I came up with is called CHO. A little bit cold, a little bit hungry, and a little bit out of breath. Those three things is how we can live really well mm-hmm. be a little bit cold not cold all the time a little bit cold a little bit hungry and a little bit out of breath mm-hmm. so that's a great application so very much counter to our modern consumers very highly convenient world is kind of just getting out of that regularly is part of the basis for this whole longevity thing yeah and here's here's a quick example so we're flying to toronto mm-hmm. okay so we're, we're coming from los angeles they're they're shifting the airport because the world cup's coming in Two years, no, four years, right? Every four years. Okay, so they're doing all the work. They're going to have the train. Okay, great. 
that the airport's not running well because they're doing all this construction. So we had to run a 5K while fasted with all of our, our bags because they didn't tell us where to go. We were about to miss our plane. So we ended up, while we were fasted, having to run or hermetic stress, right? Stress defense is activated because we're going to miss the plane. And I'm running, so it's called rehit, reduced exertion, high-intensity training, kind of the new form of hit training. So then I'm getting all of it done. I don't want to do it because I'm upset because the airline's messing it up. But I'm a little cold, I'm a little hungry, and I'm a little out of breath. So actually, and I had the state of readiness to execute it, so then that's health. Mm -hmm. So I guess what you're kind of describing is inducing intentional short-term stress as a long-term stress mitigation. That's right. Well said. And the the term for that is hormetic, hormesis or hormetic stress. Got it. So we want, we want to literally replace exercise for hormesis. Yeah. And in there is fasting. Yeah. So we could fast and we could do temperature extremes. Yes, your blood pressure, if your blood pressure is not good, you don't want to be fasted and jump into the into Lake Huron because you you may just, you could expire. So, mm. Right? So you have to do it in phases and trust your body and do it, build it up over time. But then if you package those things together and stack them, great. So this is how we can also burn a lot of fat. So mm-hmm. if you did fasted, high-intensity interval training in the morning while you were cold, great. Mm-hmm. So you step outside in the morning at 7.30, it's still dark, it's super cold. All you have on is your, let's just say your running gear. And you haven't eaten, you're fasted, mm-hmm. it's super cold out, and you did two 20-second all-out sprints. Like mm-hmm. all-out, like the tiger's chasing you. Your life depends on it. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. You've done a day's worth of exercise. Yeah. And your body can generate what's called post-exercise ketosis, which yeah. means you'll generate fat production, ketones, mitochondrial uncoupling, longevity programming, all from the 40 seconds of sprints. So you don't need any other exercise all day. That's really interesting. All day. Just to kind of bring my own experience into it. Do you think there's anything that should be said for recovering from those short-term stresses? Because what I've found is that in trying to implement this, what is it, hormesis, this short-term stress, um, inducing this short-term stress, what can happen is I sort of get stuck in that response from my nervous system that is just like a lot of stress. um, And I find that I have to really intentionally wind down after doing that because especially it's just someone who is anxious and has my adrenals are kind of fucked up. I have to sort of have some sort of wind down. Do you encourage that? Like just doing some breathing or like a meditation or something to to wind down that stress response to make sure that that short-term stress does not become a medium-term or long-term stress? Yes. Yeah, so you're describing that allostasis or that allostatic load we just mm-hmm. discussed in cold immersion. So if someone has already a high allostatic load, let's yeah. just say the response you're describing, then yeah, then the hormetic stress itself wouldn't be where that person would start. Because mm-hmm. then that would just be adding potentially more adrenal fatigue. Yeah. Right? So what then has to happen is, is is a baseline has to be established before the person then maybe would start to implement something like a hormetic stress sequence where three, three days a week they escape the tiger. So Got it. They may start by, like you just said it, with breath type of, some kind of breath intervention. Mm-hmm. And then as they start to feel better and they have less symptoms, remember, symptoms aren't a bad thing. This is the thing with symptoms. So if I have neck pain, mm-hmm. generally that's bad. Yeah. I would say, most people think that, well, if you had to choose good or bad, you'd choose bad. Yeah. Okay, what if it was needed? Mm-hmm. What if I had anxiety every time I saw a dog? Let's say that I got chased by a dog as a kid. 
which I did. Mm. And so every time I see a dog, my my amygdala that was activated because mm-hmm. my hippocampus locked the fear memory into my brain to for survival's sake. So for me, a dog that's not on a leash isn't a good thing. Got it. So when I see a dog, I'm activated. My stress response goes up. And what did that do to the dog? The dog's energy, right? They just come right at me generally. So every dog always comes right at me and wants to jump right on me. Mm-hmm. And I always, I'm like, I don't want the dog on me. I love dogs, but I don't want the dog on me. So my nervous system has a set point that's over there, which you could say almost is an overactive stress response to an animal that's not on a leash. Yeah. Well, some people go, well, just get over yourself. Well, yeah, but what if that's actually a, a traumatic event for that little person? Mm. So then so then in there, you're, you're, you're exactly right. So then, then what initially needs to happen for that person is they need to then pull themselves out of the overactive stress response. That's governed by the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, yes. the HPA axis. <laughs> Very familiar with that. Okay, so to, to, to shift and to tune that axis, mm-hmm. then we would do something that's called stress inoculation training, SIT. Yeah. So fear extinction, a form of stress inoculation training, can retune and recalibrate the HPA axis yeah. to unload allostatic or decrease allostatic load. Now, the adrenals aren't shot. Now, yeah. microbiome health is ensued. Now, we can start hormetic stress, mm-hmm. and now we're up and running. Mm. So sometimes there is a continuum and a bit of a process. Yeah. Right? So this because isn't something that somebody should just necessarily jump right into. Not necessarily. Only because humans are loaded. Mm-hmm. I call it the complication of the human condition. And, <laughs> and because we have the complications of us being alive here in this, in this experiment we call right, society, we're loaded. And so we don't know what's going on for each person. So you got to respect yeah. the, the state of the person. So that means, yeah. There is a bit of a you know a, a tuning in and a starting point. Mm-hmm. So that's back to trusting your body's intelligence. So you have to kind of start to know yourself, then you can start directing yourself. Yeah, like I found for myself, you know, as someone who kind of falls a little on the chronically anxious and underweight side, if I even practice just intermittent fasting, which I've tried to do in the past, um, I end up sort of just putting this amount of physiological stress on my hormones that is, in the long term, in my opinion, pretty negative just in terms of my adrenals and my hormone health. And so basically what you're saying is in this certain health state of my own where I'm not, I'm kind of on the opposite of the, of the metabolic disease pipeline. Um, I'm kind of on the other side where I, I need to be resting more. <laughs> um, so there is sort of a workup to, to sort of reaching a baseline of stress management before I can start really incorporating that hormetic stress. Yeah, that's right. And and there's actually really two great ways to get a baseline. One is through metabolic analysis and there's a um, it's an intervention called Pinoe, P N O E. It's pronounced Pinoe, it's Greek, and Pinoe uh, Pinoe is breath in Greek. So metabolic analysis through Pinoe is a great way to do it. And you do that, you know, one to three times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a resting analysis. You, you come in fasted, you lay down, mm-hmm. you have to have the equipment, which is, you know, expensive. Someone like I do these facil- I facilitate these metabolic analysis, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a great way to get a baseline. So you get someone's heart rate variability, mm-hmm. basically what's their respiration rate at rest. Mm-hmm. Six to 10 breaths a minute is a good HRV assessment. Most people are running around breathing 15, 20 times in a minute. That's like they're biking uphill and they're just laying there on a table. So should they be doing rehit hormetic stress? No, that's just going to place them in a whole massive stress overactive response, right? 
So if they did a fasted 10 minutes resting metabolic analysis where the respiratory exchange ratio is being analyzed, you get to see the reality. You get to see their resting metabolic rate. Hmm. You get to see how the respiratory system works. You get to see really the, the set point for where they are. Now you can decide for yourself where should you and how should you begin this process of programming yourself for longevity and feeling good. Mm -hmm. The other way is to do epigenetic analysis. And that's with a simple prick of the finger, a little bit of blood. You donate, you send it away. The algorithms give you back after a couple weeks, you get your entire epigenetic analysis. Mm -hmm. So for example, I'm 54 chronologically. Yeah. I'm 38 and a half biologically. Damn. My rate, my rate of aging, okay, so ideally, I, ideally to create a longevity dividend, I'm planning to live to 160. Yeah. I reserve the right to change it. <laughs> I could do 180, but I'm at 160. I'm at 0.8 of a year aging for every year, of every year chronologically I age. Right now. So the goal for most humans is to get under one year of aging. Yeah. Okay, so if you have those baseline analysis, you have something really tangible to rate what, what should we be doing. Most people I deal with, they're metabolically under significant insults. So unfortunately, when they get their epigenetics back, their biologic age is older than they are chronologically. So they put their head in their hands and they're devastated because they're getting that reality. I look at it as a positive because like, then you have the knowledge. Mm. Okay, now let's, every two months, you can make an epigenetic change. So just two months of lifestyle, and now you can start to shift Mm. your rate of aging and you bring down your biologic age. Anyway, and then if they do the biologic, the metabolic analysis, now you have the baseline, so now you can move towards something real. Yeah. It's, it's tangible. It's not like, well, it's out there. We hope it's going to work out. Just go default back to diet and exercise. Actually, no, that's not going to actually work. It's just going to keep you right where you are. And then you go back to self-medicating behaviors, right? Whatever that is, eating sugar, taking in alcohol, self-abuse, right? Negative mm-hmm. relationships, negative self-talk. All of these are parts of influencing your epigenetics. Mm. So I think getting the baseline metabolically and epigenetic-wise is a great way to go for people. Yeah. Back to this is the direction of health, right? The arrows go towards you, not out to an external source to get an answer of, am I okay or not? Yeah. That's what all we've all been brought up with. We just like to get rid of the symptom. Yeah. Right? So fasting, though, can help get rid of symptoms. Mm-hmm. So if you're sick, if you have pain, fast. Yeah. You'll get rid of symptoms. The body yeah. generally does well. Less is more. So fasting is super effective. And it is just to be, just for the sake of accuracy, it is super effective because of which biological process? Fasting has a bunch of processes. I'm going to give you some of them. C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation. It's one of the main markers of inflammation. Mm -hmm. So if you do a a blood panel, they're going to look at your CRP. So that's a measure of like your inflammation state over a period of time. So you want that to be low. So just by fasting, you'll reduce inflammation. CRP confirms that. So the CRP marker goes down. IGF-1, that's the insulin Mm. signaling pathway, right? So that process in all of our cells will will be affected from fasting. Mm. So your your growth pathway, you stall it. You slow it down. Mm. That's why we we don't want to eat meat all day because we have it available now 24-7. So you don't want to be drinking dairy and taking in meat products or fish all day because of that idea because you're activating one of the hallmarks of growth and if you keep turning growth on what happens over time you can turn on uh, unmitigated cell proliferation that's cancer and the IGF-1 is kind of interesting because it seems like it's kind of a double-edged sword of like in a healthy state 
muscle growth in an unhealthy state, cancer. You know, it just depends like what direction you're growing. Like, I think I found that there's quite mixed sort of ways that people look at IGF one. It's back. I think because uh, we're always looking to make things tangible, right? Mm-hmm. So, a tangible way to to look at that is where is the person in metabolic flexibility? Somebody's in, mm-hmm. in metabolically inflexible. Generally, IGF one is always active. They're always in a growth phase. If they're metabolically flexible, which that's that's always tough to find someone who's there because we, we never stay there, right? Our body's never static. It's always in flux. But if someone cycles at least in and out of metabolic, being metabolically flexible, then generally the the IGF one is going to be a little more responsive, mm-hmm. right? They're not. It's not always being activated, and that's what you want, mm-hmm. right? Uh, another one is stem cells, right? So you can activate stem cell proliferation in the body just from fasting. So let's say the shoulder thing. I had the shoulder, let's just say, for 2.5 years or anything. If I fast, I'm generally, the body will create the stem cells and it'll put them and place them where it needs it. Does this all have to do with that hormetic response? Because you're putting your body into that sort of stress activation mode, it is going into this. Like, is that kind of along the right line of thinking of it's a different it's a different pathway mm-hmm. yes but it's done through a different pathway and the pathway is called ampk mm-hmm. so when you fast you can think ampk pathway mm-hmm. when you're doing growth what does ampk stand for oh long long kinase name okay yeah. <laughs> just the ampk pathway is a okay. good way to think about it right so the ampk pathway activates from fasting Got so it. great. So then we kick on another one of the values is we kick on autophagy uh-huh. cellular cleanup Okay, so great. We need a way to activate this cellular cleanup. Fasting is the simplest innate way. It's native to us. Yeah. So we clear out, again, the metabolic trash, and we generally have extra trash as mm-hmm. humans, right? Because we're running around with extra size on our bodies. Yeah. Right? So it's sort of clearing out the metabolic waste. Right. And then obviously there's a reduction in weight, right? Yeah. So that's a good sign because then you're, it means your body's generally running better. Your metabolism is right? working. It's responding. Right. If it's responding, that means generally you're generating alternate sources of fuel. That's mm-hmm. ketones, which means your mitochondria are uncoupling, and mm-hmm. that's health. So really your goal is to just is to drive this mitochondrial uncoupling. You can do it a bunch of ways. Yeah. You can sprint, you can fast, you can use temperature extremes. They're all going to equal mitochondrial uncoupling. You can look at diet. You can eat polyphenols and polyamines, aged cheeses, things with color, generally plants with color. Those are polyphenols. So then our body does well with it. It triggers these little million billion bacteria to activate, to proliferate. Mm-hmm. Fasting does the same thing. Mm-hmm. So fasting is this great mediator for so many things. It just requires discomfort, mm-hmm. doesn't it? And so we don't like that. We don't like it. So then, again, if you put it together with the cold immersion and the fasting, that's really, those are the two of the long-haul markers for sure for life. Mm-hmm. Adopt those two things. As somebody who's worked on this for a while, how often do you do some sort of fast? Twice like a I, year. I personally just do, like, if I have a long travel day, I just don't want to eat, and I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to fast. Yeah. That's a great way to do it. Another great way is to have an ice meal. Yeah. So you replace a meal with ice. So <laughs> get some ice, crush it, put it in a, a nice cup, a container. Yeah. You know, let's just say you're on the train. Okay, you're on the train. Great, you're on the train. You can read, you can do homework, I don't know, but you could take an ice meal, Yeah. and you get the process of mastication. That's why we're supposed to be eating meat, because we have to masticate. So if you're yeah. not going to eat meat for all host of reasons, then you need to masticate. So then you should use bicarbonate gum. 
So at least you can masticate. Yeah. And that's, that's good for our jaw development yeah, as well. It's really good for right. craniofacial facial development. It you prom- need to chew. We don't chew enough. Right. It promotes septum breathing. Yeah. And it also promotes this very... F- f- our phylogenetics have been passed down that we're supposed to have some form of that mastication. Mm-hmm. That's generally with meat or fish. Okay. So if yeah. you're not doing that, then you need some kind of... Something to chew on. Yeah. That would be bicarbonate gum. Or ice. So you could do a targeted intermittent fasting day. You skip one meal, replace it with ice. That's a great way to go. Yeah. So to answer your question, I, again, with this portal sequence I've worked out over these last, you know, last decade, let's yeah. say, twice a year I do this sequence. But it's a four or eight week process. And then I'm building flexible metabolism so I don't feel bad during the fast. I'm also getting my mindset ready, right? I'm, I'm starting to do things like hot, cold contrast, choosing to do either a one meal a day or mm-hmm. a targeted intermittent fasting day, an ice meal, right? And over three weeks I prepare for the five-day fast. Mm-hmm. Then I can do either the one meal a day fast for five days, the water fast, which is what I just did in September, October, mm-hmm. or the FMD, the fasting mimicking diet. Yeah. Plant-based five days. Okay. So then that's generally done, again, depending on the person, two to three times a year. Yeah. That's a good number. So two to three okay. times a year, you could do a five-day fast. That's not where people should start. I would say people would start with a targeted intermittent fasting one day in a week. Mm-hmm. And in the day, you could just decide how you're going to do it. You could skip either the meal in the evening, in the middle of the day, or in the morning. You could do it by switching it out to an ice meal. You could do it by just taking in like green mm-hmm. tea with ghee butter. So you get you still activate the AMPK pathway, mm-hmm. which promotes autophagy, cellular cleanup. So you're fasted, but you get to have a little bit of a, almost like a, you navigate around the feelings of hunger because you're having the green tea with the ghee butter mm-hmm. or some good, you know, real organic coffee with ghee butter. Yeah. So there's value in that because it helps you navigate the fast, the meal you're missing, and you're getting the value of the fast, right, without coming out of the fast. Mm. That's very biohacky. That's really cool. There's a lot of strategies as we, you know, again, we adopt for ourselves, right? Because we have to adopt it for ourselves. Of course. Right? It's got to work for us. Like, oh, and we're all going to respond a little differently. Yeah. Based on microbiome diversity, metabolic flexibility. And even just your, even just your yeah. mindset towards it. Like, I know that for myself, I have to be really careful with this kind of fasting things because, like, I have a history of anorexia and, like, you know, I need to gain some weight. So, like, with me, you know, I kind of have to wrap my head around it in a different way than somebody. Yeah, that's a good point because uh, with, let's just say, addictive personalities or with, you know, our our perception going into these or our beliefs going into fasting specifically, Yeah. right, fasting generally feels good, mm-hmm. okay? And generally if something feels good, we do more of it. Mm. So if people, which you can, people can get addicted to fasting. Yeah. And then now it's... It can become problematic. Yeah. And the thing with being problematic when you fast is actually then it can promote caloric restriction. Mm-hmm. And that means your brain thinks you're surviving. Oh, for sure. Believe me. I was really... I, I really enjoyed fasting for quite a few years of my life and it was very problematic. <laughs> I was really skinny. It was like... You know, I just gotta keep going. You know, not eat breakfast until like you know eleven thirty. Oh, it's no, no, no. It was just it was it was a problem. So it really just does depend on your body type, your metabolic health, your mental health. Sure, I mean you could fast too long and your blood pressure drops. You have a syncope and you pass out. Boom, you face plant. You know, yeah. you're walking down the street and you face plant. So obviously, yeah, we have to kind of go slow. The best part of this, I think, is this: if you just pause long enough, which means usually you're breathing, and that's through your nose, not through your mouth. Yeah then you start to listen to the feedback your body's giving you. Mm-hmm. That in of itself is the innate intelligence of health. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. More than a specific protocol. Protocols rarely work. Mm-hmm. 
It just don't. That's why, like, I'm writing this first book. It's really hard because everyone's like, okay, there's got to be something, right? What's the tangible thing? Mm -hmm. Well, I've created the the, the portal. Even in that, though, it's still a process. Mm -hmm. Just because this thing is a process, Mm -hmm. right? Our our body, my body, yours, we're all, we're not in the same set point. Yeah. We're loaded. Okay, so we just got to respect ourselves. So in the respect is the process of learning the signals of what is the, what are the signals? Mm. What are you getting from it? Like, how does it feel? How do you feel? Do you feel like yeah. crap? You're like, great, I'm doing this portal thing and I feel like shit. Okay, well, that's not going to work. You should feel good. And then there's the other end of the continuum you're describing, which is someone that feels good. And then if they're like, great, well, if I feel good, I want to even feel great. Now they're doing too much of it. Yeah. So yes, like everything with biology, the least amount of the right type is the answer. That's awesome. I, I do love the nuance. Um, I think that's all the time we have, but thank you. This is very informative, um, and I have definitely learned a lot from this half-hour conversation or however long we've been talking. Great. Okay, i got a thought yeah, on this. Absolutely. When someone's in a fast mm-hmm. and they're doing cold immersion at the same time, that's a great time to have the same discussion. Let's just say... Yeah. Yeah. Then there's a whole different proliferation of thoughts yeah. and clarity that comes when you're in the fast and you're doing the cold immersion that may be interesting as a follow-up. This is very yogic. I like it. <laughs> but yes, awesome. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And that's it for our conversation with Uncle Tony. We've covered cold immersion, we've covered fasting, and, you know, of course, a few other topics kind of thrown in there, as is the case when you talk to either of us. I hope you could find something to take away, and maybe you'll want to start implementing something new into your health and wellness routine. Of course, if you like this podcast, please share it with your mother, your auntie, your own Uncle Tony. You know the drill. Do the things. You can find Tony's work at aretlifelab.com. That's A-R-E-T-E lifelab.com. And you can find me on Instagram at basil and blackberries and my wellness-minded recipe blog at basil and blackberries.com. I hope you are having such a lovely day and that you are feeling so fucking healthy. See ya.